shown that you guide us where we need to go, that you allow us to see the truth of your word and how it relates to our, our lives and how we need to respond with all of who we are and all that we do. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You're told that you just have to have it. George Michael sings about it, and really everyone has it in something. I'm talking about faith. We talk about faith here a lot. We talk about faith because we are a faith community. We have a faith that unites us. We're a community of faith. But when we talk about faith, we have to ask the question, what is faith? People use it in a lot of different ways, but what, when we speak of faith, what is faith? Some people talk about faith as if it is a, a kind of blind trusting or a leap of faith into the unknown. Or maybe it is this acceptance or this wishing something would be true. But that's not Christian faith. Christian faith is not blind. It's based off of knowledge. Christian faith is not just wishing something's happening. It's confidently hoping and knowing it will happen. Christian faith is a dependence on Christ and the promises of Christ we see in the Scripture. I love how one pastor named Joe Thorne puts it. He says, faith is based on what God has said in the light. It's not a trust fall in the dark. Faith is based on what we know to be true of our God. It doesn't mean that we don't have doubts. It doesn't mean that we don't question how things are working out in our lives. But when we are doing that, when we're wrestling with that, we don't focus on the whys or the hows, but we trust in the who. And we know the who, who God is, and we have faith in him. When we start talking about faith, there's actually three parts of faith that we can talk about. And they build upon one another. And so the first part of faith is knowledge, that you have to actually know something to be true about something to have faith in it. And so when we come to who God is and who Jesus is, we have to know who he is. We have to know what the Bible says. We have to know what he has claimed who he is and who he is to be. And so you have knowledge, but knowledge alone isn't faith. You have to actually have a sense. You believe it's true. You, you believe that what is said and what you know is true and corresponds to the reality of this universe. And so you don't just know that Jesus claims to be Lord, but you believe that is true. You believe he is truly the Son of God. But even knowledge and believing its true assent, that's not faith yet. Because even the demons know this to be true and believe it's true, and yet they don't have faith in God. It takes a third element to have what the Bible calls faith, and that is trust. Where you don't just know it to be true and you don't just believe it to be true, but now you put your whole life in God's hands and you rely on Him as He is true. A great illustration of this is a stool. You can take a stool, and so you can have faith in the stool when you sit on it, right? But that's built on it. You look at a stool, you have knowledge of what it is. It's a stool. It's a piece of furniture. It's built to hold you up. And you believe that. You have a sense in that. You're like, oh, I believe this will hold my body weight, hopefully. And you believe that to be true. But you don't truly have faith until you rely on it and you rest upon it. And that's the essence of Christian faith. 
resting in who God is. And so we talk about faith. Why? Because when we come to Genesis chapter 15, we have the, the greatest verse and chapter in the Bible about faith. One that's quoted in the New Testament often. One that people look back on and says, this is the central ideal of the Bible is that we're saved through our faith. So you have your Bibles with you today. You can turn to Genesis chapter 15. If you don't, have no fear. It'll be on the screens. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven. And number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things, all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. Then he did not, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and darkness and great darkness fell on him. Then the Lord said to him, said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. And I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had go, gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, uh, the river Euphrates, in the land of Kenites, and the Kizanites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Prezalites, and the Rahim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Geshurites, and the Jebusites. When we read that chapter, we shouldn't get confused by the whole list of names right at the end. But when you read this chapter, one thing stands out to me, and that's this. Have faith in our faithful Lord. Have faith in our faithful God. For when we read this chapter, we see that Abram has faith in God. And why does he have faith in God? Because he knows who God is. He sees clearly who God is. God is the one who provides. He is the, the one who protects. He is the one who cares for. He is the one who guides. He is the one who brings out of darkness. This is the Lord, the God that Abram has faith in. 
And it's the same for us. Why should we have faith in our faithful God? Because we know who God is through his word. We know who God is through how he operates in our life. We can look upon creation itself and see his fingerprints. And so we have faith in our faithful God. And as we read the story of Abram here, as he has faith, we see how well it relates to us and how we should have faith in our faithful God. Abram has just come off in chapter 14. He has just come off a great victory, trusting in God. And he shows further trust in God with how he honors God with his wealth by not taking spoils for his own, but giving a tenth to the priest of the God Most High. And so now it picks up in Genesis 15, and the first words that God says to Abram are what? Fear not. Abram had just had a battle where he was trusting God. Abram had just relied on God to provide for him, even when he could take stuff for himself. And so he's in this state, and God says to him, fear not. And he says the same thing through his word to us. Let that simple phrase ring in your mind that God looks upon us and says, fear not. Not. Why? Fear not because God loves you. Fear not because God cares for you. Fear not because God protects you. Fear not because God provides for you. Fear not because God guides you. Fear not because God is always with us. Fear not because God has a plan for us. Fear not, for he is God and bigger than anything we might face in our life. But he doesn't stop at fear not. He tells Abram, I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. God looks upon Abram, and he says, fear not, but then he expands and says, I will be your protection, your shield, and your provision. Your reward will be very great. And that God protects and provides. In Abram's life, he's looking and says, God says, I am your shield. He's going to stand before Abram. He's going to take care of Abram. He's going to protect him. And Abram knows this to be true. He's thinking back on what just happened, that he had this great military victory. Why? Because God was his shield. And when you read back in Genesis 14 and the blessings of Melchizedek, you see how that's true. That's God who protected Abram. But not only that, God is Abram's provision. He takes care of him. And Abram can rely on him, that the blessings that Abram has with his flocks and his gold and silver all come from God. And the same thing is true with us. That God is our protection and he's our provision. But how often do we look towards other things to be those things for us? How often do we look for other things to be our protection or to other things to be our provision. And we look towards these things that are in this life and ultimately sometimes forget that God is our ultimate protection and provision. We look towards things like money and think that it's our bank account that's going to provide for us. It's our bank account that's going to protect us from these times that money can be what God only can be. And so we look towards that sometimes. Or we look towards our job and says, if I just have a good job, that's going to protect me, that's going to provide for me. And it's true, it will, temporary in this life. Or we look towards our reputation, our popularity, 
our family, maybe even family are really good things. And ultimately, all these things, they can provide for us and they can protect us for a little while. But ultimately, only God is our protection and provision. And so we need to ask ourselves, what do we look to for protection? What do we look to for provision? And we need to remind ourselves that we should have faith in our faithful God who takes care of us. God continues to, well, Abraham actually responds to God saying he's his shield and his roar will be really great. And Abraham's like, I've heard this before, God. You've promised these things to me. And he can come with sense the impatience of Abram. He says, you promised I would be a great nation. You promised I would have, have my name be great. But how could that be? I don't even have a kid to pass this on to. Someone else in my household is going to be my heir. I don't have my own flesh and blood to make a great nation. And so you can sense this almost impatience that Abram has. But we shouldn't judge Abram that he's impatient. You have to remember this is five years since he first received the promise of God. It's been five years as Abram has trusted God and walked with God, expecting him to fill his promise. And we are pretty impatient too, aren't we? We, uh, we get kind of annoyed when the microwave takes too long. We, get, uh, we kind of chafe under the fact that Amazon's two-day shipping is not quite fast enough. We, uh, we get frustrated when our internet slows down a couple megabytes per second. We're an impatient people, and we can transfer that impatience over to God, and we can be praying to God, and we pray and we trust in his promises, and we do it once, and we expect it all of a sudden to be here in our hands, delivered. But Abram teaches us that we mature by having patience in God, that he has his own timing, and it's good, and it's perfect, but yet we trust in him to carry through with his promises, even when we get impatient. And so in response to Abram, God clarifies his promise. He says, it won't be this guy in Damascus. It won't be someone from your household that you adopt to make your heir that makes a nation. No, Abram, your very own son is coming, and he will be your heir. That God promises Abram a child, and we see how this promise is a foreshadow, a taste, a, a pattern that starts picking up through all of Scripture of the promised child. That again and again, a child is promised. It actually started in Genesis 3 when there was an offspring promised to Eve that will trust the serpent. And Abram has this promised child who's going to be his heir and, and be a great nation. And that um, you know, Hannah prayed for a child and a promised child resulted in the, in the, uh, the prophet and priest uh, Samuel. And then we got the promise to David that one of his sons, his heir, will sit on the throne forever. And Isaiah speaks of the promised child. And it leads again, this pattern leads and builds upon itself all the way to the promised child of Jesus Christ, who will be the Savior of all his people. And so this promise is picking up speed and it finds its place in Abram as he says, look and be clarified. And this is my doing, God. I'll give you a child. And God says, come outside, Abram. Look upon the stars. See how many they are. Can you even count them? That will be how many your descendants number. 
as numerous as the stars in the sky. And the amazing thing of that is that when God spoke of the stars, he had you and me in mind. For we are counted among Abram's offspring, his spiritual descendants. For we, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have faith in God, we are engrafted in that family and we're part of his descendants. And so when God said, cast your eyes to the sky, look at the stars, God had us in mind. He had you in mind. That he knew that in the year 2020, sitting in a River Valley Community Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas, you would be part of his family, spiritually descended from Abram. So this promise is our promise, that we will be part of God's family, that we will be included in God's plan. And we have faith in our faithful God. And in response to this, comes maybe the most momentous verse we can say in Genesis. In verse uh, 6, it says, And he believed, and and he counted it as righteousness. That Abram believed in God, and the Lord counted to Abram as righteousness, right standing before him. We see right here, this is the pattern of salvation. This is the pattern of faith, is that through our faith, we are saved. This has been the pattern that God has set up even from the beginning. If we go back in Genesis, we see this already happening. When Abel offered sacrifices to God, and it was accepted. Why? Because he believed in God. And so God accepted Abel's sacrifices. When Enoch walked with the Lord and was taken up uh, to the Lord. Why? Because he believed. He had faith and it was counted to him as righteousness. When Noah responded to God's call and built the ark and he was saved and counted righteousness. Why? Because he believed and God saw that and gave him the grace. And so the same happened with Abram, he believed in the promise of God, and God's counted it, gave it, granted it, declared righteousness, right standing before him. That he is saved because of his faith by the grace of God. And there's two parts of this great thing is that Abram believed. He believed. He trusted God. What did he believe? The simple promise. That God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And it was counted to him as righteousness. I love how one commentator talks about this belief that Abram has. And it says, the original Hebrew for believed comes from the root, whence we derive our amen. And so we might paraphrase, Abram said amen to the Lord. Amen in scripture never means a petition, may it be so but always a strong assertion of faith. It shall be so, or it is so. And so when we say belief, it's not a nebulous wishing. It's not just hoping something might be true, but it's what we talked about at the beginning, about confidence and trust in God that Abram relied and rested in that promise. He was basically saying to God, it is so. You have declared it. It will happen. And he had faith. He believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Abram didn't achieve his righteousness, his right standing with God. He did not earn it. He was not good enough. He wasn't trying hard enough. 
He hadn't followed well enough. That's not why it was counted to him as righteousness. But he was granted, counted, declared to him as righteousness. That God gave him something that was foreign to him, right standing before our God. And the same is true for us. How are we saved? We believe in Jesus Christ, the promise fulfilled from God, and we have his righteousness given to us so that we can stand before our heavenly, just, holy God. There's a reason that this, this verse is quoted in full three times in the New Testament. In Romans 4, in Galatians 3, and James 2, that the writers of the New Testament were making it very clear that they saw this as foundational of how do we, how are we saved? How do we have a right relationship with God? We have faith in who he is, and he brings us into a right relationship through our faith. We can ask then how, how people in the Old Testament are saved. Is it different than how people now are saved or how we see people in the New Testament saved? And I would argue it's not different. They're actually based on the same thing, that they believe the promise of God and they're saved. And how are we saved? We believe the promise of God and they're saved. We have more information. We can put a name on that promise. We can call him Jesus Christ, who's who he is. And we see in detail how he saves us. And we see in detail how he takes our sin upon himself on the cross. And we can see in detail how he gives us his righteousness. And we can see in detail how he sends his spirit to empower us to follow him. And so we're so privileged now to see this and we can proclaim it. But back then in the Old Testament, it was the same way. How are they saved? They believed God and his promise and him sending a future offspring that would save humanity and they were counted as righteousness. That when Abram lived and walked, the gospel was being preached. Why? Because the gospel is here in Abram's life, being proclaimed. That he had faith, he believed, and was counted as righteousness. This is why Paul in Galatians says, Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, If you shall be in you, all nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. Now we read that and we know the, the truth that the fact that when Abram was promised that great promise by God, we're included in that promise and we're saved the same way as saints have always been saved, by believing in who God is and his promise and, and knowing him. So the question we all have to ask is do we believe? Do we believe in the promise revealed by Scripture? Do we believe what... Scripture has made plain to us that we're supposed to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has stood in our stead upon the cross, that he is the way that saved us, that he is the promised child that has been mentioned back in Genesis 3, that he is the promised child that's mentioned in uh, Isaiah again and again. And so we do we believe. And when we do, we are having faith in our faithful God. Have faith in our faithful God. But God takes a step further, and he establishes a covenant with Abram. 
Now, we have talked about covenants before, and a, a covenant is really just an oath-bound promise. And when we talk about covenants in the Bible, it's like the framework in which we can understand the whole Bible, is that when you look at the covenants, you start understanding how God is operating with his people. Because when God establishes a covenant, he enters into a promise of relationship with his people, but he divinely initiates it and carries it out. And that's what we see here. That's based off of God. It's all about grace. And so this covenant is a covenant of grace that God moves in Abram's life based off his belief and is bringing about salvation to him and his people. And so God enters into this covenant with Abram. And this covenant takes a, a familiar form that Abram would have been used to. Because when people uh, in his day and age would enter into kind of a relationship, they would make a promise, and it's really foreign to us. But they might take an animal, like a donkey, and cut it in half and put it opposed to each other, and then both parties would walk through the severed animal. And they did this because it's a really graphic example and promise saying, if I break my promise, may I be like this animal? If I go back on my word, may what happened to this animal happen to me? And so it was a really strong promise, oath-bound relationship that they would enter. And God tells Abram to set it up with a heifer and a goat and a ram and these birds. And he's saying, set up this covenantal promise. And then he, and then he tells Abram, you will get this land. But then he spends some time telling him what's going to happen in the next 400, 600 years as your people are going to go into Egypt and they're going to suffer, but they're going to be coming out. And when they come out, they'll come out with great possessions. That right there, um, God just summarized the book of Exodus for us and for, for Abram, reassuring him that you will receive this promise. Your descendants will receive this promise, but they're going to go through some trying times. And when we read that, we know what things that pop out to me are that, that God's plan is sure. The end result is going to happen. The promise is going to be fulfilled. Is it going to be fulfilled how Abram wants it to be filled? Probably not. The people who go into slavery in Egypt, is that going to be how they want it to be fulfilled? Probably not. But God's word stands. His promise is sure. And oftentimes it's not always sunny meadows and rainbows in our life as God is working in us. That he grows us through life and it's difficult. But then Abram, Abram has a deep sleep come upon him, and, God, and the covenant promise is ceremony is enacted. But notice something interesting about this is that there's only one party that walks through the severed animals. That a burning fire pot and a flaming torch, these images, these, what, uh, if you want a fancy term, these phenophanies, these appearances of God. You can take that term and impress your friends at lunch. These phenophanies of God, these appearances of God, walk through the animals. Abram doesn't walk through the animals. Why? Because God is promising on himself. That Abram actually has no part in this promise except for his faith in God. But God is saying, I guarantee, I promise that this is going to happen based on who I am. And so he establishes this covenant with Abram. Why does that matter to us? Well, if we are engrafted into Abram's family, if we are his spiritual descendants, that we're actually part of this covenant with Abram. 
Not only that, but we're part of this covenant of Abram because through Jesus Christ, we are part of the new covenant, which is the fulfillment, the completion, the, 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 com- the full completion of what this covenant signifies. That how we relate to God is now through Jesus Christ and that it's the completion and the full thing that was only revealed in shadow with Abram now is shown in the light to us and how we relate to God. And so we look upon that and we say this is talking and saying the, the, the foundation for how we are saved in Jesus Christ and the covenant we have in him. And so we see this rejoice because we know that's how God saves us, through our faith. So have faith in our faithful God. We look upon this chapter and we see how it's a great testimony of faith and how we need to follow suit. And how do we respond to this? We respond to this by embracing who God is and living for Him. When I was in college, uh, I was involved in the Christian ministry of Young Life, and it's all about building relationships with young people and sharing the Gospels through that. And there was a movie that actually was pretty old by then uh, that was popular, and it was Dead Poets Society. Uh, it was popular because I think it, people loved how it shows the impact someone can have on younger people. You haven't seen that movie. It's Robin Williams. He's a he's a English teacher uh, at this prep school, and he's impacting people. And there's a there's a great scene where he leads them out into looking at the this, this display case of all these people who graduated before them, and 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 they're all these young people. And he whispers behind them, "Carpe diem," which means seize the day in Latin. He's talking about you only live once. You only, you only are young once sees the day and it's inspiring. And everyone's like, yes, that's what we need to be telling people. We need to seize the day, make the most of life. And I think there's truth in that. So there's a reason that inspired us as we, as we were going out to talk to young people. Yes, seize the day, seize the life, make it big. But life is bigger than even that. While it's true, we need to make the most of every day and we need to seize the day, but the truth of the matter is we need to do something more than seize the day. We need to seize, embrace God. It's not about just making the day great. It's about looking face to face with our Lord and Savior and embracing Him and His promise. That was not just about living for your best life right here, how it goes right now. No, it's about knowing that your life is more than today or even tomorrow, and you embrace the Savior who lives forever and brings you into his family. And so we look upon our Lord and the Savior, and we have faith in our faithful God. And how do we do that? Is we embrace him with all of who we are. We look at him and say, I believe. Not just intellectually. Not if he's even just saying that's true. But I place my whole life and my whole day and my whole year and everything I do in your hands. Guide me, Lord. Direct me. And that we know it's not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done, that we are then counted righteous. Have faith in our faithful God. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, 
Praise be your name. For you are good, you are mighty, you are perfect, Lord. And we praise you. Lord, we ask that you continue to watch us, continue to guide us, continue to show us the way we need to go. Lord, I ask that you continue to bring the, the word back to our minds and um, make it relevant in how we're walking out this week. As we go through life, we can remember that we're having faith, that you have faith. Uh, we should have faith in you, our faithful God. That you are working in us and guiding us in all that we do. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.